Good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We're continuing character studies of the Old Testament. And I've taken up Nebuchadnezzar. Very colorful figure. Five syllables to that name, so there's probably five different ways you could pronounce it. And uh, I was playing around with it this morning, but I won't embarrass myself by repeating any of them. So we'll just call him Nebuchadnezzar. Or I have in my, in my notes just an abbreviation form of it, Nebu. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar. <coughs> I can't really talk about Nebuchadnezzar without laying some groundwork because some, I, I believe there's something big that God's doing in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, in the history of Israel, in the lives of individuals. God works on many fronts. And oftentimes when he works on the larger fronts, there's individuals caught up in the middle. And God's got purposes for that as well. So we want to take a look at that. Before we start reading, I want to give some background uh, information, um, some verses. If you want to jot down the reference, you can. If you don't, just listen. Because it sort of gives a, um, a historical setting where Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene. It says in Ezra 5.12, but because our, and this is after the fact looking back. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. Again, we read in Second Chronicles 36:15, the Lord God of their fathers, who sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of, God, of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. So we see the topic here is discipline for the nation of Israel. And God tried again and again to send his prophets with a fateful message calling them to repentance. They had wandered far from the Lord, involved in idolatry, um, pagan worship, adopted the practices of those around them, uh, abuse of the poor and the needy. Uh, their, their national life was rife with sin, and God was going to discipline them through a potentate, a world leader, one that wasn't saddled with the limitations that a government like ours and our generation is saddled with the courts that could prevent the government from exercising full authority, this would be a dictatorship. And when he made a decision, it was final. So it was a scary thought. You might think, well, what does this have to do with us today? Well, who knows? Perhaps <coughs> the direction our nation is turning, maybe the Lord has some discipline in mind for us. And so we need to say, we need to ask ourselves, well, where do I stand in the midst of this? Because we're individuals that make up part of this nation. And if this nation is heading down a road and God decides to teach the nation some lessons, we're going to be caught up in it. And so we have to see where we stand. And so in the lead up to that, we want to look at some individuals that were there for that specific reason. In Jeremiah 27, 6 and 8, he says, Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. 
And get this, what God says. In God's word, he calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Now I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I've given him, given him also wild animals of the field to serve him. And it will be that the nation or the kingdom which will not serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have destroyed it by his hand. So God was serious here. He had discipline in, in mind for the nation of Israel. He was to use a potentate, a world leader, whom he was going to use as his servant to accomplish his purposes, to discipline the nation of Israel. We read in Hebrews 12, 5 through 7, And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so, whenever God disciplines, it's not for vengeance, it's not out of severity, it's out of love. Love as a father has for his son. So that the son might turn from the error of his ways and respond to the love of the father. And that's God's heart towards Israel. And so they're going through go through a time of discipline. And God was going to use a, a foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was very powerful, very wise to discipline them. There were a group of those that would run from the discipline of the Lord and they ran to Egypt. And God told them, well, I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar to Egypt after you. And he did. So you can't run from the discipline of the Lord. So this is what God was doing nationally. But what was God doing individually? Because there were individuals caught up in the nation of Israel that made part of the nation of Israel. Then there were many unfaithful Israelites of the day. But there weren't all unfaithful. There were those that were faithful. And they'd have to undergo uh, the discipline of the Lord toward the nation, even though they were individuals. And we're going to see a couple of those individuals because there was a reason. God prepared some individuals for this very time. And he prepared them for a reason. And so we want to take a look at them in relation to Nebuchadnezzar and what God was doing in their lives and see how that relates to what God perhaps is doing in our lives or what he's been trying to do in our lives. Maybe we've responded, maybe we haven't. So we have to be honest and ask ourselves that question. In Daniel 1, we're still working up to Daniel 3. In Daniel 1, 3 through 7, then the king ordered Aspenaz, this is after Nebuchadnezzar, went and uh, took control of Judah. He ordered his uh, chief official to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, four youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, 
and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Meshach, or to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So those are names that we're familiar with. Daniel, Meshach, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right. I'm probably not. But you know who I'm talking about, right? Four individuals. Four young individuals. Very wise what this king did, wasn't it? Okay, so now put yourself in the place of one of these four individuals. Your country has just been invaded. Many are dead. <coughs> Some have run off. You're taken captive. Now you're chosen for special schooling. Three years. I mean, these are years out of your life now. Under the authority of a foreign potentate in a foreign country. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? There's an expression, and I don't know where it comes from, but it's a good expression. And it's called testing your metal. Now, if you're a guy, it might be a guy thing. You've heard that before. And I don't want to restrict it just to guys. Testing your metal. There are experiences in our life that test our metal. Test what we're made out of. Test what we believe. And it's revealed what we believe, what we're made out of. It reveals our metal, whether it's some chintzy metal or if it's a strong alloy, how we respond. And God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? He tests our metal. You see, we have the word of God before us. And so we have God's word down there in writing. And as we read it, what do we say? I would say the majority of people in this room would say, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. And God says, you do, do you? And then he tests our metal. We'll see if you believe that. Because there's going to be a test. And this might not be discipline. It might be God has his dealings with a church, with a government, with a country. But through it all, he is in the business of testing your metal. He is in the business of showing you what you actually believe by how you're going to respond to the circumstances that he places you in. Now, these young men, they had every opportunity. And if they're like me in some of my failing moments, they had a good reason to complain, didn't they? Complain that, one, this guy doesn't know the Lord. He's a pagan. And he just temporarily has the upper hand. I don't really know what God's doing, but I don't like it. So I'm going to be obstinate. They could have done that, right? And we're going to see how they reacted. God tests the metal of those that he loves. And we can remember two outstanding examples of that. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. God not only tests the metal to show us what's in us, but to show others what's in us as well whether it's for good or for bad. Satan challenged God when God said, Have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him. And Satan, playing the imitator of God, he says, Oh yeah? Just take what he has away from him. You build a hedge around him. Just take it away and you'll see. That'll test his metal. But God knew. 
God knew that Job would come through with flying colors. And then Satan had the second go at him. Yeah, well, just take his health away from him. Touch his life. And God said, go ahead. Because God knew that he would come through shining, and he did. And praise the Lord for those times. What was the purpose of that? Same thing as I believe God's purpose was with these individuals. And that's pointed toward Nebuchadnezzar. It's pointed toward, it's pointed toward the pagan society that was now the rule, world rulers of the time. See, he is in the business not only of testing our metal, but establishing us or desiring to establish us as testimonies and witnesses in a world that doesn't know God. And when we act and we respond the same way as the unsaved do that don't know God, when we meld in to society and the worldly way of doing things, when we take on their priorities, we are being no different than them and they cannot see God in our lives. And so these youth, these four youth, are placed in a very strategic place at a time in their life, place in their life, a situation in the national life of Israel where they can have an opportunity to shine forth brilliantly for God or to suffer failure. We think of Peter, the other example in the New Testament, when Peter said, Lord, I'll follow you even to death. And the Lord says, you will, will you? And then he talks about a rooster crowing three times or whatever he does, right? Now, what was, what was God doing there? What was God's purpose in testing Peter, allowing him to be tested at the time? He said, Satan has demanded to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But to me, the important words were these. When you have turned, strengthen your brethren. For your brethren. You see, when God tests our metal and we're shown up to be failures, it's not so that we shrink away and be filled with self-pity and woe is me, I'm no good. No, it's to turn from that, to be strengthened and be an encouragement to those around us, to those that know the Lord, and to be a bright burning testimony to those that don't know the Lord. <laughs> Before I was saved when I was young, people used to say, that Eric Shark, and that guy's crazy. Because of the things that I would do. You know, I, even as a little kid, I'd be playing on the jungle gym, and I'd just leap into the air. You know, maybe something that was three feet out of grasp and just barely catch it with the tip of my finger. I used to uh, jump off the roof of the house. We used to take the cable from the flagpole, bring it over to the roof of the school and run off as fast as we can and swing, oh, about 20 feet over the cars in the street as they go by. <laughs> yes, that's what people thought. My response was, I'm not crazy. I just have a very accurate, um, what's the right word, appraisal of my own abilities. <laughs> See, I knew what I could get away with. I knew I had a very accurate sense of what I could do and what I couldn't do. Now, <coughs> that's in the physical realm. I want to say it's, it's the opposite in the spiritual realm. Most times than not, people think up here is where I am spiritually. And I can, I can do these things. And what God does is God says, you think so? Let me show you. And God has a way of humbling us and showing us, you know, I'm not quite as strong spiritually as I thought I was, as I would like to think that I am. And all it takes is a circumstance, a test, like something like this, to watch me fail. And God does that for a purpose. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He wants to humble us so that he can strengthen us. 
so that our strength is not in ourselves, but it's in God for the purpose of being a witness, bright and burning in our society, in a world that's changing before us, just like these four youths. Okay, so God had a purpose here. <coughs> now, you know, I want to be a, a, I want to be transparent here, and I, and I want to say that um, I'm an elder here, and so it's a very delicate thing to talk about the spiritual aspect of our lives without thinking of individuals for which we pray for, for which we labor for. I know that when I'm listening to a message and uh, I'm thinking when the speaker's speaking, oh, that person really needs to be listening to him, then I'm not filled with the Spirit. I'm not following God's guidance. When I'm following God's guidance, that's what I'm thinking. He's talking about me. He's talking about me. And I wouldn't be qualified to be up here if I didn't realize that when I put my finger forward, it's got three fingers pointing back. And if I weren't mindful of my own failures, my own uh, laziness, procrastination, my own sinful heart, there's no way I can minister to you. There are roads that I've gone over that I've stumbled and fallen and I've crawled until the Lord picked me up, dust me off, and give me strength to move on. Sometimes it's through brothers and sisters encouraging me. Sometimes it's through the prayers of others. So I'm mindful of that. My metal's been tested, and I've come up a failure many times. And if there's victory in my life, it's because God's given me the strength. And so... When I think of how this assembly has been tested, the metal of this assembly has been tested through the years. Individuals have been tested. And when we look back through the history of Calvary Bible Chapel, and I was there not at the beginning, but probably within six months to the year from the beginning, because Rick was on the church planning team, and he led me to the Lord, and he was already discipling me. So even though this church wasn't, didn't have the desire to be built up from transplants from other churches, wanted to see new people saved, I, I came over. <coughs> but I, I can think of many people through the ages that they're no longer with us. Something came along in their lives to test their mettle and to show them what was really in their heart. It's easy to say, Lord, I'll go even to death with you. And then the Lord says, oh Yeah. And he allows something to be dangled in front of us. And we soon detour from that golden objective to walk in fellowship with the Lord and follow him wherever he goes. And he went to the cross to something that looks good, whatever it is. God knows you and he knows me. And God is in the business in dealing not only in the assembly but in the lives of individuals. When I think of the assembly, I think of the goal that this assembly started out with. I can remember that church planting team. I can remember from the very beginning. It was to arrive at a certain number and hive off and see a church planted. That was the goal. And the sacrifice was put forth at the beginning with that goal in mind. And I can feel the Lord or hear the Lord saying, Oh yeah? Oh yeah? And allow things to come along the way to find out, well, is that really what you are resolved to do. Is that really what you want to see done? God glorified. And, and, and we're about to, um, well, we've already started. We already had the, um, 
golden shovel. But that's just representative of what God wants to do spiritually in our midst. You see, I believe that God wants to not double the size of a building, but he wants to double the size of a church, living stones with a purpose of seeing that reproduced again and again. And we need to realize we're weak vessels. God's going to test our metal for the purpose of showing us, listen, you have great resolve, but there's some impediments to that resolve, and I want to show you what they are. And that's what he does in our lives. It's what he does in the church. It's what he does in the lives of the individual. Now, in the midst of testing our metal, I believe he is molding our character, and that's what he's in the business of, making us more Christ-like. And for every person in this room that knows the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, you have to come know the Lord to be on that process, in that process. But for every person in this, in this room, there's a custom uh, procedure for you. Things that are going to mold your character to be more Christ-like are different than what's going to mold somebody else. And so we look in a, a, around and say, well, how come, that, how come they don't have to do that? How come they're not going through that? How come they get to do that? regardless because God deals with you as an individual for example <laughs> my wife is married to me now, I've been told I'm a master of the obvious but you have to realize there's great sacrifice involved in being married to me and for her to stay in that marriage she has to believe that that's God's will for her life and there's effects that I have on her that only I can make that change in her. It's not me making the change, it's God behind me. But this is the instrument God used, uses to do it. We, I work with glass, and in stained glass, there's what's called grossing pliers. And they're made specifically pinch off pieces of glass a little bit at a time to form the curves that you use in stained glass. That's a very specific instrument. And you could do things with that instrument that you can't do with a regular pair of pliers. Well, God picks up an individual like me, and he uses me to work something in Santa's life that nobody else here can do. God's chosen me. Um, if you're single, right now you're single and God wants to work something in your life that can't be worked out right now, you being married. That's why you're single. If you're married, it's the opposite, right? God can only work in you things that need to be worked to make you more Christ-like by being married. Not only by being married, but by being married to the specific person that you're married to. And along the way, there's tests, testing your mettle. There are people along the way that have not, that, that you know, I'm going to be married in the will of the Lord. And there are people that have strayed away from that resolve. Oh, yeah? And God lets somebody come in front of us that shows interest in us. And they don't know the Lord. And next thing we know, our resolve has been shot full of holes. Testing the metal. Didn't have strength. Um, sometimes the testing of our metals come in relationship with people that maybe rub us the wrong way. I know I must rub people the wrong way. Have you ever considered maybe you rub somebody the wrong way? Have you ever considered that God sends those people in your life because he wants you to be rubbed that way? Because he wants to work something in your character. He wants you to be more Christ-like. And it's easy to love somebody in a Christ-like manner when they're attractive, when they're easy, 
when there's, you know, the same frequency in a personality, we just jive together. But send somebody 180 degrees out of phase with that, and it's like, ooh, man, that person's hard to talk to. Well, hang in there. Stay in there. Your metal's being tested. Okay? Sometimes we're tested in some times of our lives that we prove faithful, and other times that we don't. You know, uh, in a position of responsibility, I'm pretty obligated to, pretty much obligated to um, be faithful. I'm obligated to show kindness and patience. I'm obligated to treat others with a Christ-like love. But if I didn't have this position, would I act the same way? Would I be as faithful? You know, you should think, well, I'm a missionary. I have to act a certain way. Okay. If you're not a missionary, why were you acting that way? Just because you had the position? Or because Christ calls you to be like that? You know? And I see people in different times in their lives. Sometimes they're really faithful. And you think, wow, that person's going to go all the way for Christ. And then God says, oh, yeah? Let's test their mettle. And then you find out they distance themselves from the Lord. That you don't see him so often anymore. That they let other things come in between them and the Lord. And sometimes those other things, it could be a varied relationships. It could be your job. It could be status. It could be the allurement of a retirement. Financial gain. Comfort. It could be the comfort of family life. He tests our matter. So here's four individuals. And no doubt they love the Lord. And this was their moment. This was the testing of their metal, and they saw this is our moment. You know, remember the story of uh, uh, not Ruth. Somebody help me out. Esther, thank you very much, John. Where it was said that perhaps it's for this very reason that the Lord placed you in this position, and she was used to save the nation of Israel. And these four individuals. Perhaps it's for this very reason that God has placed us in this place, this time, to stand up for him. It's, in, it's interesting because there's four there. There's Daniel, right? Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I praise the Lord for that. They didn't, God didn't call them to stand alone. They had fellowship. God doesn't usually ask somebody to stand alone under certain circumstances. We'll find that others, they do. Daniel had to stand alone in the lion's den. Um, <coughs> but God wanted to reach Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see that not only through today, but next week as well. So whatever situation you're in your, in your life, take a look at it. Take a look at where you stand and what you say you believe. Take a look at your faithfulness. Take a look at your involvement. Take a look at the past and see how you've been involved you've been and where you are at present. And that is the analysis of God testing your metal. Testing your metal. Okay. <coughs> In Daniel 1, 17 through 20, as, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. I got something right here. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate that. 
Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. So this is three years down the road. The king talked with them, and out of them, out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Ten times better. What a testimony. Do you think they applied themselves during that three years of study? Certainly applied themselves. Do you think that they distanced themselves from the Lord during that time? We're going to see that wasn't the case. You see, some people think, oh, it's either this or that. My job calls me to certain responsibilities, and the Lord calls me to service. The Lord doesn't put you in that dilemma. The Lord's command is the Lord's enabling. He doesn't want us to stop serving Him to do anything, whether it's job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's travel, anything. And so we need to ask ourselves, has those things caused us to distance ourselves from the Lord? This points out to me that God's purpose for them is that they're a testimony. Ten times better than all the rest. Nebuchadnezzar noticed that. God's caused their light to shine. And we're going to see why. And that's what God wants to do in your life. I have to confess in my life there are times that I'm much more zealous to witness than others. And that's a shame. I fail to realize that God wants me to burn brightly for him wherever and whenever and doing whatever I'm doing. Am I burning brightly for him? Am I speaking up for him? Am I standing on the principles I find in the word of God because I believe that's pleasing to God? That's testing my mettle. And he sends tests every little day. Sometimes they're small ones, sometimes they're big ones. Daniel 2. <coughs> okay, so Nebuchadnezzar had this witness. Wow, these four are ten times better than the rest. There's something different about them, right? He had at least that much. That should be said of the life of a Christian. There's something different about them. We should stand tall in those regards. There should be something different. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know him, and he's made you a new creature since you've accepted him, and he's been working on your character and you've been cooperating with him, you should stand out. It's different than those around you and for God's glory. Okay, Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Verse 2. Then the king gave orders to call the magicians and conjurers, sorcerers and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O O king, live forever, tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare its interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, Command, the command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, (laughs) you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation... You will receive from me gifts and reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Very wise king. 
right? It's really easy to make the story about what a dream means. God's hand was here. Gave him the dream. Gave him the troubled spirits. Gave him the desire to know the dream. And so he sought who he may to interpret the dream. But he wanted to make sure that the interpretation was accurate, so he said, you tell me the dream too. So can you imagine the dilemma they were in? And they, they made up excuses. Hey, no one can do that. No king has ever asked that of anybody. That'll never happen. And so the king says, okay. And he told his, his head guy there, go start killing them. All the wise men. Okay? So the decree went forth, Daniel 2, 13. The, Dan- <coughs> the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in, requested of the king that he would be given time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. <coughs> Very wise way he dealt with it. Then king, and this is, there's two words in this verse that I really want to concentrate on um, and, and wrap up this, 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 this message. Uh, it's going to take a little while, so we might not get to Daniel 3. We might have to wait till next week. <coughs> then Daniel went to the house and informed two words, his friends. His friends. I want to talk about that, but first we'll read this. His friends were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from God, from the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. And then I'm going to jump down to 219, I'm going to read through 28, then we're going to go back and talk about the friends. Then the mystery was revealed, verse 19, to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness and the light dwells with him. You, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what what we request of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I had and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, or diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream uh, and the visions in your mind while you were on your bed. And so he explained to Nebuchadnezzar his dream in detail, specifically, exactly the way Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. And then he explained to him the interpretation. It was about the world kingdoms to come. It was what God was going to do in the future. And it was so specific, so accurate in the detailed explanation of his dream 
then of course Nebuchadnezzar realized that the interpretation must be true as well. To the point, and this is why I want to get here, is because remember what God's doing. God is placing a witness before Nebuchadnezzar. God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know about the one true God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was in the king's court. And so, what was the witness to Nebuchadnezzar? That God is a God of gods and Lord of kings. There is an all-powerful, almighty God in heaven. He didn't know that before. And so God is forming his witness before Nebuchadnezzar by four fateful individuals. <coughs> Two times in what I read today, and some of what we sang in one of the hymns, talks about friend, a friend. His friends. Think about his friends, what kind of friends they are, because that's what I want to talk about, that kind of a friend. These men, as they were taken into captivity, they had to make the decision how they were going to live what they were going to do and what they were not going to do. Their metal was going to be put to the test. And they were resolved that they were going to pass that test no matter what. And, and I find that particularly comforting that they had friends in that resolve. Friends in that resolve. And I, and I want to talk to you about that because... The Lord's working in my life. Uh, you know, I can remember um, the difficulties going through my life. But <coughs> I am so grateful for the men that I work with. For Don, for Charlie, and for Howard. And I want to be a friend of theirs. I don't have to be a Daniel. I just want to be a Daniel's friend. We all need friends but those true kind of friends that will tell us the hard things we might need to hear. That will stand by us in life and death situations. That will be faithful to the end. Not necessarily because you're a faithful friend, but because you believe that you're exactly where God wants you to be. And that God wants you to use that to that capacity, use you to that capacity. I have to confess I've not always been a faithful friend. And it's the testing in times like this where lives are on the line that we find out what true friends are like. True faith in God is like. Because it's times like these where you have backbiting, where you have complaining, where you have critical spirits, divisiveness, Everybody to his own tent mentality. Hunkering down. I'm going to watch my own house kind of thing. That's not the friends that we see here. These friends were in it. One for all and all for one. And I know I'm not the best friend because sometimes I could be abrasive. But I thank God for the times that brothers, these brothers have stepped into my life 
and been an encouragement to me. Have an understanding ear. Said some things that needed to be said. You know how I know that they're true friends? It's because they're still my friends. And I'm still here. Not out of my own strength, but because God wants me to press on and become that friend. Now, I don't just want to be a friend to Don and Charlie and Howard. I think of the deacons. I'm in this assembly to be their friend. And I know perhaps we might see things differently. I know perhaps I might grade on somebody, whether it's through a misunderstanding or a non-misunderstanding. I don't need to be the Daniel. I want to be the friend. And I want to ask you something this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to be a Daniel's friend? Look around you. There's Daniels all around you. I know I've let down my friends in the past. And there are those that have let me down. But I don't look at that anymore. I don't want to let anybody down. And it's only as we learn to be as Daniel's friends, standing up for the Lord, shining through the testing of our metal, that God's going to get the glory and we're going to stand as a bright and burning beacon on a dark hill in this world, in this nation, that's sliding downhill. And so I ask you this morning, don't you want to be a Daniel's friend? I do. I do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. And examples like this in your word, these four young lovers of God. Lord, and we look forward to seeing their light shine even brighter as you work through them. And so we come before you, Lord, and the beginning of this building project, we acknowledge and we understand, Lord, that you're in the business of building not church buildings, but churches, living stones. And Lord, we pray that we might have that vision. And Lord, we pray as our metals tested daily, perhaps through past injustices, past slights of people we have considered friends, our metal has been tested and perhaps we have faltered. We pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen the feeble knees. Lord, that we might see God glorified in our midst, a great work done. Lord, using us as instruments of yours. Lord, and to the degree that we not, have not been friends of Daniel, we pray that you'd make us so. Pray that each one of us here in this room might examine their heart. And I might examine my heart and consider anything that has caused me to be distracted away from you. Any allegiances or passions or desires that I have that drive me awake from the work of the Lord and from the people of the Lord that you'd send a test to test my metal and to reveal that to me. Pray that you'd reveal that to any in this room. Lord, whatever hinders us from seeing this assembly used as a bright and burning beacon for you in this locale, reveal it to us, Lord. And I pray that we might be united in that desire before you. Lord, we think of four individuals, Lord, that went into a conquering nation's uh, territory and they burned so brightly that others couldn't help but notice. We pray. Make it so in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.